Kamenetsky Brothers Podcast, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, ESPN LA. Uh, it is Thursday, the 18th of January. We are well into the new year, Andy, and I have a confession to make um, in the in the interest of full disclosure. So the Lakers last night, they played a, a game against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And if Lon- you want to call it a game. They, no, they, there was like a sanctioned NBA contest between the two teams. And uh, Lonzo already wasn't on the floor, so there was that. And then, like, Ingram tweaked his ankle, and he left, and KCP left, and Kuzma hurt a finger, and he left. And i got to be honest with you. We're, like, two and a half, three years into this sort of rebuilding project where the focus night in, night out is of the kids who are improving and whether or not the young players can lead. When those guys aren't on the floor, I really struggle to care. Like, like to even kind of, kind of pretend like that what's happening out there matters even in the slightest does that really require confession on your part well, like no, what you're I... saying is when the three most important lakers for the future of this organization moving forward aren't playing i'm I don't, not i don't I'm not I, as I, dialed I, into I, the game i just i i'm i'm learning I mean, italian are you I'm sure just... you don't want to go to a confessional booth? No, but the reason i think this is worth it because like we're supposed to be like you know Lakers guys, like, you know, we find the interesting stories in, in, you know, well, okay, Lonzo didn't play, but Ennis was out there with Caruso. Well, like, maybe he's all this stuff that's happening, like, because we're, you know, this, you know, part of our gig. I think people think that we're like fully invested in, in all. No, I think you fundamentally misunderstand the perception of this gig. People, oh, good. People want information and analysis. And honesty from us. Right. And, and my, and my honest opinion be, is I don't care. No, but I mean, but taking it just a step further, we would actually be dishonest towards our listeners, and we care a lot about our listeners, if we presented the two-man game between Alex Caruso and Tyler Ennis as anything resembling important. Okay, good. Like, that would, that would actually be... That's what they do on crappy Laker podcasts. I feel... <laughs> I feel better. And uh, and by now. the way, everyone knows what podcasts those are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so because like last night it was just it's like what because they're not, you know, they're not even playing for a draft pick this year. So you can't even be like, well, maybe they should lose and we'll watch that. and We'll see what happens. It's it literally is just, hey, is Lonzo better? Like, does Lonzo look good tonight? Does Ingram look good? Tonight? Are they building to something? And on nights when those guys don't play. It's as if the game, they might as well cancel the game. Well, I mean, look, it's like, I mean, when the Lakers were competing for championships, but it happened to be a night where Kobe, Powell, and Odom were all unavailable, you're going to find that game inherently less compelling. <laughs> I mean, even if you're trying to figure out, you know. But it's still, at least you could still, in that particular case, you'd be like, yeah, but, you know, you don't want to give that game away. Because, you know, it could cost them seating sure. or, you know, we'll learn about whether or not uh, s- pick a reserve, you know, Sasha's ready for the big time. No, not, not ready for the big time. But like, this is a <laughs> good opportunity not. for him to get like a, a lot of minutes. So he'll be ready I when know, the playoff. But- you could come up with like if there's it is impossible. Right. With. Sure, but the, but the flip side of that, though, is we all know that if the big time was actually presented in the playoffs and you were going in there with Sasha oh, instead of lose. Kobe, it's done. No, but, you know, you want to be like, he could 
Maybe. Do you think Sasha will be able to uh, to to go back and and rely on the experience that he got? Hey everyone, um, welcome. You know, in that game in December when he was you know the big moment. Maybe that's why he hit the free throws in Game Seven. Andy. It, it could be, but that that's ultimately. I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole on this. <laughs> With Sasha specifically, no, but just in general, because again, the idea that you are not as interested in the game I, I, with the three okay, I, most look, important cornerstones of the future moving forward. I don't think. And then like even the fourth and fifth guys who might even be cornerstones. At least they're part of the building. Like I just I don't I, I as long as you, it, it I maybe I felt worse about that clearly than you do. I, I mean, thought I think people look, there I'm are a bigger people Laker who fan than you, Brian. That is true. If, if I'm able to be upfront about this, I don't know what you're losing sleep I, over. I'm not, I mean, I'm losing sleep because my five year old kicks me in the head like over and over and over again every night. I if, I'm, I feel better now. Thank you Good. because man alive, some of these games are just awful to watch. Um, and so that's one of the things we'll talk about tonight in terms of, uh, what it means when guys, particularly Lonzo, aren't playing. So we'll get to that. Uh, the Kyle Kuzma wall. We seem to have hit it. <laughs> um, we also, Andy, we're bringing back the, uh, the statue. Yeah, it's been a while, but, uh, we are inspired by Elgin Baylor. It's been announced on April 6th that he will be getting, um, a statue. And, and, and for, in the minds of a lot of people, it is long overdue. Elgin Baylor has just been the perpetually overlooked not just like Laker, but he's like one of the overlooked all-time greats. It makes sense that Elgin statues. Oh yeah, you're right. We should probably give him one. Like it just, it's he'll get there, but it, you know, the process was overlooked. Well, it's also too like Elgin Baylor is like perpetually. Yeah. This he's this victim of bad timing. Like you know, the time that he played in the league, the league wasn't as covered. So like I think people don't realize just how innovative a player he was. He's considered by some people like the. Basically, like the inventor of hang time. Well, he's like, like the, the br- he's the bridge between the old NBA and the new NBA. Right. You know, he had a career-ending injury that once he was off the team, they went immediately on a 33-game <laughs> winning then, streak, and then won a title, and then finally broke through. Right. You know, all those years that Elgin was with the Lakers and they couldn't break through, and then even when he was an exec with the Clippers, he had the misfortune of spending all those years with Donald Sterling as opposed to under an actual owner. Like like the, Steve Ballmer. The flip side of that, though, Andy, is he had all of those years to spend with it with uh, with Donald Sterling, in part because Donald Sterling was the only owner in the world who wouldn't have fired him. So true. I mean, maybe, maybe Elgin would have landed somewhere, but it, you know, it's but funny the, because I'm we played saying- a game. We played a game a couple weeks ago on. Uh, on uh, one of the shows where I had to come up with like every, wh- who are the guys who have had their jerseys retired by the Lakers? It was, uh, in the afternoon show, uh, one of the games they play. And the guy that was left off the list that we, we forgot about, Elgin. Of course. Yeah. I mean, That's again, El- Elgin Baylor is just perpetually overlooked. Yep. And I mean, it's funny, like, you know, he's obviously well before our time. Like my most recurrent image of Elgin Baylor is as a Clipper exec sitting in the media room nervously eating popcorn. He was always like very fidgety and eating popcorn. Yeah, mine is uh, Ireland telling the carrot cake story. <laughs> um, all right, so we'll get to the statue game in a little bit. First, though, let's talk. Let's talk about Lonzo. The Lakers last night moved to zero and eight without Lonzo. He will not play on Friday against Indiana. There's a good chance they move to zero and nine at that point. It's not even. Uh, uh, it's not even known whether or not he's going to play against the Knicks on, on Sunday, Sunday, which could be zero for 10. ten. So the Lakers are fifteen and twenty-one with Lonzo in the lineup, which is obviously not playoff caliber, but it's it's not nearly as catastrophic looking as as fifteen and twenty-nine. Um, and the, there are, you know, it's not just Lonzo's time gone is overlapped with Lopez missing time, blah, 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 and so on and so on and so on. So everything that comes after this, okay, maybe it's not 100% Lonzo. 
it is obvious at this point how important he is for this team and kind of his absence has reinforced how effective he's been over the course of this year particularly once you get past those first 15 games or so ESPN stats and info for last night's game had a bunch of really good Lonzo numbers and the one that I found most stunning Lonzo and Ben Simmons both have are averaging over seven rebounds and seven assists a game they would be the third and fourth guys in league history to do that as rookies. Numbers one and two. Oscar Robertson and Magic Johnson. Yeah. That's the list. Yeah. I mean, that's I was, it. I was really surprised to learn that LeBron didn't do that as a rookie. No, he needed, like I, he waited until his second I, season when he averaged like 27, eight and eight. Yeah. I just would have assumed that, that LeBron did that if for no other reason than he was required to do everything on those teams. Yeah. I mean, it's just it, it was so okay. Just that, you know, if you want to set aside all the other things and, and the advanced metrics, if if your raw numbers are good enough that you're in a category as a rookie with Oscar Robertson and Magic Johnson, yeah. you have had a pretty effective rookie season. You can f- stop. You can you know you can question: Is he better than Simmons? Okay. Is he better than Tatum? Okay. You know, Dennis Mitchell. Okay, or Donovan Mitchell. Um, Dennis Mitchell's a sprinter, isn't he? I don't know who that is. <laughs> I'm sure he's someone. It's a common enough name. So, okay, but he's played well. Like, you you can start to put that to bed just based on that number alone. Um, so I, I thought that was intriguing. Um, little stuff. Kuzma averaging averages about the same with Lonzo in the lineup and without. Without Lonzo? He his efficiency goes from like close to fifty percent shooting to under forty. Yeah, um, the Lakers as a group, their total assist rate drops about twelve percent when Lonzo doesn't play. And then on the defensive side of the ball, their point differential. And this is, mind you, before last night's game, they're minus one in games that Lonzo plays, which is respectable. You know, it's about a five hundred sure. team. They are minus sixteen heading to last night's game without Lonzo on the floor. When he misses those games. So, okay, shave off three or four for the games where Ingram, whatever. Okay, so they're only minus nine with Lonzo. It is so clear at this point the impact that he has on their ability to function as a team that in some ways his absence, I think, is helping people get over some of the initial disappointment about how he shot the ball. Yeah, I don't have the numbers in front of me for this, but I'm willing to make an educated guess that the Lakers' rebounding numbers go down without Lonzo in there uh, as well. Yeah, I, let me see if I can find um, it. I'm, and you know, the, and that's such a big part of Lonzo's game, and he's an exceptionally good rebounder. But you know, generally speaking, people don't think about the connection between you know, forget just guards and rebounding, but point guards. And I rebounding. believe Lonzo's leading, not leading the team in rebounds per game because Randall is, but I think he might be leading in defensive rebounds. Oh, I, I, I will look that. that up. I can absolutely believe that. But I mean. We were talking about this before, Brian, with uh, Travis Rogers on the ESPN LA postgame show. And I think, all in all, Brandon Ingram is the Lakers' best player. You know, like, I think if you take a look at all the different skill sets you'd want from a player and ranked guys on this team, you know, who does this best, who does this best, who does this best, Ingram would come out with the highest, the most amount of high totals. Mm -hmm. But I think Lonzo is the team's most important player. Because well, at no, least as they're constructed now. No, I was going to say, nobody 
A, nobody on this team, I think, affects the complexion of a game and the way the Lakers are going to play stylistically what they want to do more than Lakers. I mean, more than Lonzo. Like, nobody, I think, puts sort of a stamp on the overall game, you know, beyond individual performances more than Lonzo. He sets a tone. But also, too, once you, once you take Lonzo off the court, the ability to replace him Forget just in a way that replicates the way Luke wants to play. I'm just saying function. Well, with a competent player. Like, Tyler Ennis is, at best, I think, a he's a third-string point guard in the mm-hmm. NBA. Yeah. You know, Alex Caruso is... He's not. He's, he's fringy. He's, he is a fringe fringy. NBA player. We've seen Jordan Clarkson attempt point guarding over the years. It's not what he does. This isn't what Josh Hart does. So, really, I think you can make an argument that the second-best point guard on this team is Brandon Ingram. And when Lonzo's not in the lineup, Ingram has to do a lot of what Lonzo's supposed to do on top of what he's supposed to do. And while I think Ingram in, say, year five could be capable of doing that very well, he's not there yet, and he doesn't have the people around him to do it effectively. Ingram is a good passer, but he's he's a passer more along the lines of the Kobe mold where, and look, Kobe could run an offense, Kobe could do whatever he wanted, but... In, in terms of how he functioned game to game, Kobe was a great passer by virtue kind of of his own gravity, where he knew, I'm going to bring a double. If I go here, they'll do this, and therefore player Y will be open. That's how Ingram distributes the ball. By putting pressure on a defense, he then will, he's a willing passer and an accurate passer, and you can see over the defense and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's, you know, here's, you talk about backup point guards. Here's a, a best illustration of the difference between how an offense functions with Lonzo being kind of quasi, real point guard and Clarkson being kind of quasi. Usage rate. Lonzo was second in the league in passes per game. He's sixth on the team in yeah. usage rate. And Clarkson is first by a mile. He just, it, you know, oh. <laughs> we have seen that coming. Good Jordan this year has had, he's had more sure. moments this year where he, he's trying to get out of but the But he's been regressing and late. He has. He's and been regressing into, uh, you know, bad dribbling Jordan. into the bridge to nowhere. Right. And, and, and just, it's, it's sort of his natural state. And he's just, he is a scorer. That's what he comes off the bench trying to do. When you ask him to do other things, it's not as natural. So. You know, some of that illustrates Lonzo's importance. Some of it illustrates the roster construction, the roster construction or lack now, thereof, right. and the the general state that the team is in is based in part. If they had one Nick Young or someone like that on this team, somebody who could stretch a floor reliably, because Kuzma, who was doing it a little bit at the beginning of the year, isn't anymore. Uh, Lopez has been disappointing in that regard all season long, and they just don't have the personnel for it. I think they'd have three two or three potentially even four more wins just based on the idea yeah, that somebody you know, can shoot it's funny you were saying that I, I don't remember who it was but i was talking with somebody who covers the team and we were talking about you know fake nba trades and i was wondering if for the Cavs, you know who are really suffering defensively as sort of a minor trade lakers send them cory brewer who is you know he's not a shutdown guy but he can be effective defensively he can be disruptive he knows what he's supposed to do for Channing Fry, who's in and out of that rotation, Channing Fry just oh, you on make a this huge team, difference. like you know, and and Channing Fry is an expiring, so I have no idea if he's going to be a part of this team moving forward or not. The chances are he wouldn't, but just the opportunity to play thirty games with a shooter could affect all of the young players' development in a positive way. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do to, in terms of getting guys to come back because the trade deadline, which is less than a month away. 
is an interesting one for the Lakers because, like you say, on the one hand, anybody they get back, what would you say, 95% of the consideration is what does your contract look like? Oh, yeah. And the other 5% is... Okay, would it help to have this guy available? See, I hope they or would think about something like that with with like a Channing Fry because or so, again, whoever just it is, a shooter. I mean, just for thirty games with a shooter, even if he's a shooter that is one dimensional and sucks at everything. Matt Bonner, else, just yeah. stand there. Just, it would help. Like you somebody, know what? Go sign Matt Bonner. Yeah, somebody <laughs> that you have that you have to guard at the arc and is reliable to knock down those shots. You know, would help the development of all of these. Guys. Where's Anthony Morrow these days? He's is, not in the league. I don't think he's. In, go get Anthony he, Morrow. Yeah, get me Man, Anthony Morrow. That guy can't defend. No, <laughs> he can't do anything, and he's a pretty good. But he's a pretty good shooter. He is a really. He good can shooter. stand out there. and He can shoot. I mean, speaking of, of the deadline, really quickly. I mean, it's yeah, take and, your time. And, and I well, and I I hate to th- I hate to frame all of this stuff just along these terms because obviously the the people that we're talking about are actual people. Yeah. But when KCP went down and we initially heard Achilles. One of the thoughts that went to my mind was, okay, this might affect the abilities, uh, the abilities of the Lakers to trade him at the deadline. Like, if this is actually oh, something as look, serious uh, with you the don't Achilles. Think, look, let me, let me. Instinct one of Rob Palenka and the front office and all these people would be, oh gosh, I hope KCP's okay. Like, to, you sure. know, they all think that. Instinct two is you go back to your job, which is, well, bleep. Um, yeah. We might have had these three things lined up where KCB goes here and we get a second rounder in 2028 or whatever it is. And well, that goes out the window. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think you have to feel bad. I think where you feel bad, and we had this discussion when uh, the whole Deshaun Watson thing went down, is when you, when you exclusively right. think of how the devastating injury to a player affects you personally, which is, by the way, how I reacted when Deshaun Watson hurt his knee, um, because it really had a very negative effect right. on me personally. Right. I was going to say, in fairness to you, you don't have KCP on your fantasy. Right. Uh, he's not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, were he, I'd feel different. But I, know? I mean, like, I want Joel Embiid to stay in and remain a, a, you know, because he's so important to the league and he's fun to watch. But mostly, I'm trying to win money, man. But I, I really do hope, though, that that the Lakers, you know, in, even in thinking about some of these minor deals, I mean, obviously they're they're thinking about whatever, you know low picks they could pick up, you know, anything like that, but that they think a little bit about the functionality of the last 30 or so games, especially because if they end up moving, you know, two of the three main veterans in the rotation, if you think things often look wonky now. Oh, God. I, I don't think they should be allowed because it's damaging to their, their future prospects. If they get rid of Lopez, KCP, Brewer, whatever, they shouldn't be allowed to play games where Ingram and, and Lonzo can't play. Like, it's just, it's, it's too negative. It's going to be too negative an experience. But, so they should just force it. It's too negative experience they too. And also, I mean, any type of momentum that you're looking, that you're looking to carry into the offseason. And, and I recognize that, you know, that Paul George or LeBron or, you know, Boogie, they're not going to be like, daily looking up the Lakers record. But if you if you limp into the summer losing seventeen out of twenty, it's difficult no, to right. spin that into we are the premier free agent destination. Because it's 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 funny you mention that because I've been sort it's of one of the reasons I've why I'm not hundred percent sure they're gonna move all their veterans. They might I, well I also think some of their veterans are hard to move given the restrictions that they have on themselves. But I've been thinking about this a lot because I, I you know when when the Lakers had that what was it? Nine that they lost in a row, nine in yeah, a row, and nine, then they came yeah. back and won three straight and four straight, four straight, and then they and they could have won more had Lonzo not gotten hurt. 
Um, I, I tried really hard during the nine game losing streak to, to keep the perspective of, yeah, I realize a lot of bleep has hit the fan and LeVar and the Walton questions. And now, you know, wind horse is on with, with Rich Eisen and like, it's gone crazy around here. Trying to at least keep some perspective of two and a half weeks ago, we were talking about how promising everything looked. And I can't believe that it automatically has all gone that bad that fast. And so when you talk about the deadline stuff and what it means for the Lakers to go into the summer, on the one hand, I'm like, does anybody really care like about the record? All they're going to look at is is Ingram, is Kuzma, is Lonzo, who else they could bring with them, what the cap situation is, and all this other kind of stuff. You know, can I get that house that I really wanted? And not overreacting to like how much does it matter if they win down the stretch. But the flip side is when you put it that way, when you talk about man, if they lose seventeen to twenty at the end of the year, night you know, they win two games down the street, whatever it is, it is a bad look. Well, but also too it's is, a really bad look. Especially too, if they're not just losing seventeen out of twenty, but they lose by double digits in thirteen of them, because then the guys like Lonzo and Ingram and Kuzma it's hard may to look just, good. May just not look as impressive. Right, that's the thing. It's hard for them to look good. Right. So I don't think though I don't think they'll do that. If Lonzo and Ingram are healthy and Brooke Lopez and KCP aren't on the team. Those guys are important, but I, I, I can't, I don't, I think they're good enough. It's just an, it's an interesting it is, no, it question. Is. It it's is, just an it interesting is. question to ask. And it's also, too, a question you would never ask in a normal rebuilding situation. It's a question that you ask when you are rebuilding on a clock. Yeah, well, they're rebuilding with the, where, where everybody understands, where everybody knows what the final, the trade deadline is impacted in part what the Lakers can do because everybody thinks that the Lakers won't re-sign Randall. Mm-hmm. So is anybody going to trade for him? It certainly dampens the market. And, you know, they've been all the chatter this week about, uh, you know, Bobby Mark said on ESPN that, you know, the, he gave some kind of vague indication the Lakers might re-sign Randall, um, if they, if they can't trade him at the deadline. Um, is that really kind of what he's saying? Is that just a, is that a thing that the Lakers are kind of getting out there to try to increase the market for Randall? So people think, oh, no, 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 you can't just make him whatever offer you want in the offseason. Uh, you know, at twelve oh one on free agency day, and expect that we're going to let him go. So there's going to be a lot of smoke and a lot of misdirection and a lot of that going on at the deadline. But they, every, like everything else that they're doing, Andy, the trade deadline is impacted by the the plan, mm-hmm. and so nothing ex- escapes its tendrils. But in any event, the team ne- the team needs Lonzo. Yes, they could uh, use Lonzo back. They really, really, it's not. Fun. We, like I don't. I, I get. I, I get tired of Lavar. I have. I have serious Lavar lash. Mm-hmm. Um, and I. I don't want to watch this team without Lonzo. Like any kind of lingering. Like, God, I'm kind of over Lonzo too. Just that the, that Lavar gave me. I. I'm over. I. I want him in the lineup. Yeah. I mean, Lonzo is clearly not at a place yet. And in fairness, I don't think he has the teammates around him to do it where he makes everybody better in the sense that it produces wins. But there's no question he makes everybody uh, – he puts everybody in better situations. I mean, yeah. they are a much better team. And the analytics them. are starting to bump up in terms of, like, you know, his his box plus minus and all these other things that at the beginning of the year, in part because his own performance as a shooter was dragging it down, you know, his his defensive performances are improving, His the, offense, the performance of the offense um, since he's started shooting competently have all – 
uh, really started to improve. So you really get a feel for what it could look like and why a guy like LeBron or Paul George or whatever, if not next year, the equivalent of those guys down the road would, would want to play with him. Uh, Kyle Kuzma is the other one that has gotten a lot of attention this year. And what's funny is they've kind of switched roles. Kuzma took the world by storm at the beginning of the year, and he was incredibly efficient, and he was doing all this stuff, and Lonzo was struggling. They've flip-flopped, because Kuzma since Christmas, again, via stats and info, into last night's game, uh, averaging, his, his shooting percentage has gone you know way south. He's under 40% now, uh, under 30% in January for uh, three-point shooting. The field goal percentage has dropped every month and this was an interesting one before christmas shoot kuzma 45 percent on contested shots since then 32 percent which of the 55 players who have taken 100 of those shots is the worst in the league yeah i mean it'd be, so it's, it's just and he's not getting to the line either yeah he, he's not getting to the line I'm, I'm sure some of this has to do with the league becoming more familiar with no him. question I mean, you know he's He's got a lot of bags in his, you know, he's got a lot of tricks in his bag when it comes to a rookie player. You know, I mean, his footwork is astonishingly it's good. It's really good. For a Very kid polished. his age. And, you know, he's got a lot of different places he can go. But after a while, you watch the film, you learn where all those places are. And I think it's becoming easier to adjust. And it, it also doesn't help that he's been playing some of these games without teammates that, that make it easier for him, that, you know, draw less attention towards him. But at the same time, too, and, he, and he's had some quad issues right. that, that have been problematic. But I do think it's it's reasonable to assume that some of this could just be he's not used to playing this many games and he's getting exhausted. Yeah, he's tired. He's hit the wall again. You know, field goal percentage before Christmas fifty percent, after thirty five percent, three point forty six percent since Christmas twenty eight percent. Some of it's probably too water seeking its own level. It is unusual for a rookie to go out and score. As efficiently as he did. And it's also, too, it's opening up, I think, some eyes to the other deficiencies in his game. Like, you're seeing more attention on the fact that he really is a minus defender. Yeah. At this stage of his career, he obviously can Lakers get are significantly better. worse without, with him off better. the floor defensively. You know, and, you know, while there are times where I think he can read a floor and make a good pass, he can fall into some tunnel vision. I mean, <laughs> at times, like, yeah. it's, it's good in some ways that, Randall is starting now because a a bench of Randall, Clarkson, and Kuzma could at times get kind of dangerous when it comes to ball movement. And yeah, you know, although I, I, that, that bench of Randall, Clarkson, and Kuzma, well, Kuzma started a lot of the games earlier, but like when those guys have been there, sure. it's been a it, really it's effective a lineup. It, it, it's a trade-off because they can score, but if, thing, if things if things on the on the court start tightening up, and guys start going into their one-on-one instincts, which all players do when things aren't going well. Everyone sure. just tries to d- save the day solo, and they don't trust the system. That's three guys where it can turn into a pretty tunnel vision state. Yeah, it's just a reminder too. Like you just you gotta wait. And I realize, you know, it's it go back to what I was saying before about like during the nine-game losing streak. It's like you just you have to be careful about particularly young players deciding who the future is, who is untouchable, who you won't go after. And all this kind of stuff because Kuzma's exciting, but part of that was just the expectations of wow, twenty eighth pick, damn! Like the Lakers got a guy, and it was exciting. It was exciting too, in part because it wasn't overshadowed by the by the excitement we expected in Lonzo. No, it was, or it that was, was, it was actually heightened right. by Lonzo's disappointment. Right. Like, of like, 
wow. It was, it was to Lonzo's detriment. It was like, damn, this guy's great. Exactly. Lonzo's exactly. struggling. They, they should have drafted him at number two and Lonzo at 20. Some, some of that oxygen, you know, was sucked up by Kuzma in part because it wasn't being sucked up by Lonzo. So uh, Kuzma is a, basically a net wash in terms of his on and off stats and he's well behind Randall in that category. So it's like, you just, it's, no, Randall is a better player than Kyle Kuzma. He's not a better he's not a, scorer. He's not a prettier player. No, he's, he's not, not a, a more elegant player. Right, no. The the aesthetics on Randall are, I mean, pr- he'll be 10 years into the league, and you'll hope he'll be a slightly less refined uh, oh, Zach Rand- Randall. Randall will be, every, everything about Randall will be an enhanced version of what he is now. Well, I was going to say, you you hope that he ends up a slightly less refined version of Zach Randolph with a better handle. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, think about what Randall's 23, right? I believe so. Um, 22 or 23. He's not fully physically mature. Like, he's getting into, like, you know, when you think of, like, power forwards and all that kind of stuff, like, Randall's going to be a bigger, stronger, likely meaner dude at... 29, 28, 29. Now, I don't know if maybe something happens. Like, will he have the same bounce? Will he have the same motor? Will he have the same athleticism and all that kind of stuff? I don't know. But if you add like another like 10, 12 pounds and then a little bit more angry and savvy, like that dude is scary. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot. I, we get this question all the time. Should the Lakers let this group go? Which guys would you keep? Which guys wouldn't you keep? And the, the hard part about this is, it's it's harder, I think, than people think to replace Julius Randle, like what he would be on a good team, assuming particularly he learns how to pass better with his back to the basket out of a double team, which is something that's really happening to him this year for the first time. He's much better with it facing the basket, yes, makes a lot of you can basically take the ball away from him with a creatively timed double team when mm-hmm. he has his back to the basket. Absolutely. But what if you figured that out? So. A guy who can be come off the bench even for you and average twelve and eight with a few assists and a block and can play good defense and switch on a lot of positions on a good team. If you think that guy is easy to find and easy to replace, you're wrong. The flip side is he's clearly not good enough to be the best player on a on a high quality team. Certainly not now. And he's not good enough now to I think to be the second best player on a high quality team. If you sign him you probably can't go get the guys that you need to form around it. Like, this is the challenge the Lakers face. Which guys do you hold on to? Which guys do you let go? How much do you commit to Brandon Ingram? Eventually, he's going to cost them some money. Is he? He's probably going to be a max guy. You hope that he can perform that way because he's going to cost you max dollars or close to it probably no matter what. It, it's, it's, this is the dilemma that they're in. I think ultimately the question that they have to ask themselves is, a, it's a couple, it's two or threefold. A, do you think Randall could be a full-time center? Do you think he could be a starting full-time center? And, and I have to say, some of the concerns, some of the concerns are legit. You're never going to have great rim protection with Randall in there. But having said that. Although he's, his percentages as a rim defender this year are pretty good. They, they, they are, but I, I'm, t- I'm talking, okay. I'm Not talking a shot rim, blocker. You're not going to have a shot talking, blocker. That's what I mean by rim protection. He, he actually can defend the lane. Reasonably well, but I'm just talking about shot blocking. But is like shot that. blocking more important than you know the, the opponents, the the actual field goal percentage? I I don't know. I mean, I actually don't know. I don't know the answer to that because I and I and I I don't mean that as like the like super analytic like what really I I'm asking because you know having it's a, good a question. I don't genuine know the shot blocker is a mental deterrent for people going there to begin with. 
And even if, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, and I actually think he's good at both, but like, let's say Rudy Gobert was a great shot blocker, but actually, if you get down by the basket, you can actually. It's make the it. inverse of what Kwame was. Kwame was a really good one-on-one post defender. He was difficult but, to move, but scared nobody in terms of coming right. down. Right, he was not a great shot way. blocker. And so, does is it worth more to have somebody be? I don't care if how deep into the analytics you know. If you're a guy on the perimeter and you see that shot blocker coming, you're not going. And so, is that more valuable than a guy who actually just the shot gets off but it misses more? Honestly, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know the answer to that. I, but, I, somebody should look that up. But but in any event, I think Randall can provide some type of lane defense. The concerns that I know both of us used to have with the idea that he's undersized, he's not especially long. You know, he's going to get out rebounded. He's not going to be able to work in the post. Clearly, not the case. The the guy can do legit work in the post yeah, against taller. It's not people. pretty. It's not pretty, but, but he, he can do it. But he gets it done. And, you know, he's, I think, regressed to some degree as, if not a playmaker, like a playmaking potential that we saw over the first couple of years than this year. I think he's regressed a little bit. I don't know if some of that's I'm about... I'm not so sure where she's... I would disagree with regressed. I don't necessarily think he's improved, in part because we're seeing him in different situations okay. that he's not handling. He's, well. he's not moving forward the yeah. way I would have hoped. Still pretty good at it. I think the... But you have to ask yourself, do you think Randall can be... A, star, a starting five in the league, you know, and as you're like fourth, say your fourth best player, he's your starting center. Does that work? The other question, I think, I think the answer to that is yes. I think particularly other, at 23, I'd be willing to take a shot. So would I. I think the other question you have to ask though is, how much do you think Kyle Kuzma, who is clearly now penciled in as the starting four for a while, how much do you think he improves defensively, specifically? You mean like down the road? Down the in, road. In the remade Lakers, right. theoretically. Right. He, right. Okay. If, again, without adding free agents, just looking at the core that they have, how much does Kuzma improve defensively? Because I think ultimately that's where some of the concerns about that last wave of defense with Randall, they're going to be connected in some ways to how much does the pairing of Kuzma and Randall work defensively? And then also too, who's your point guard? But in this case with Lonzo, Lonzo's a Already a solid defensive. Yeah, and the other thing there. about Randall that that I think you got to figure out because, like, for me, the biggest criticism—I'm and I'm not the only one who has it—is there's too big a gap. And I, we, we support. We are bigger fans of Randall than a lot of people. Yes, and, you know, certainly, yeah, whatever. We've yeah, been think, there for a while, right? People, I think people get that. We're not renting. We're, we're I'd say at the very I, least, we're time. But that all that said, the gap between good Julius and bad Julius is too big. It can be all like I would, and I think the coaching staff would accept this as well. I would accept a little less top end if it meant that I would, I could, sh- I could bring bring the floor up a little bit, so that I knew I was just going to get a better, consistent performance from game to game. He's, and it switches like from half to half, from quarter to quarter. Last night, his first run in the Oklahoma City game wasn't very good. Then comes back and he makes like eight straight shots. It's like pick a lane, yeah. You know, and, and, and coaches will tell you consistency and predictability in a lot of ways is more important than top end because sure. everybody then can function because they know what's going to happen. Why, it's why Elton Brand, for example, was such a valuable commodity. It's Beyond the same his goddamn talent, thing every yeah, single it was, game. You could, you could book that 20 and 10. Right. And like a couple blocks. You as, knew it as was Grandpa coming. Simpson said of Johnny Unitas, he had a haircut you could set your watch exactly. to. Exactly. Um, the other question I want to ask you, and I, there was a fun one because we're talking about the, the construction. All this stuff kind of goes out the window if, like, LeBron comes and said, "I want him and him sure. and him." Everybody gets traded. 
Would you do that Nate Jones thing that was out on, on, uh, that he put out? He, Nate Jones used to work with Nike, works with Goodwin now, pretty prominent presence on basketball Twitter, floated the idea as a hypothetical. Lakers trade Randall, Kuzma, Ingram, Lonzo for Anthony Davis. <sighs> and then you rely on AD's gravity to bring Paul George, LeBron, whoever it might be. Yeah, I, it's an interesting question. I mean, and keeping he, in mind, he was a, asking that day, the day after AD had his second straight forty-five and fifty. Yeah, I mean, he's so effing good. Yep. Anthony Davis is so ridiculously good. Um, I would have concerns about durability with Anthony Davis. Yes, because you know, the previous season he only missed seven games, but he's already missed, I think, six this season. He misses yeah, and he misses him like a game at a time. He right. misses like a game and here, then a game in previous there, right. seasons. He's missed a lot of times. Yes, um, and obviously too, you are taking a big chance whenever you gut a team. Like, you, if you're making this deal, you better be really confident in your tampering and your back channeling, because otherwise, what you're running the risk of, obviously, is setting up Anthony Davis. In a worse situation, set than that he's aside, in. but set that aside for just a second. Say because you you're right. Set the side just the pra- even just the practical stuff like that. Philosophically, which do you think is the better approach? Having the one guy that you know is a transcendent player. He's got a PR near thirty this year. He is the real deal. And by the way, he's 24. So it's like it's not like Anthony Davis has peaked. So philosophically, are you better off with the guy you know is a top five player in the league, transcendent, whatever, or the group of players, sure. some of whom might become something close, but at the very least, you kind of got the filler for the rest of the team. I it is a, it, To me, it's a fascinating debate. Here's what I would say. I think the answer to your question is, if I had to roll the dice on it, if I if I had to bet my house on it, I think you're better with Anthony Davis because you know what he is and you know that he is a generational talent. But my counter to that would be, I don't know if either scenario is good enough. And, That's and, probably, that and, may and, be true. And, and you, but my point being, you run the risk with Anthony Davis clearing clearing the decks for him specifically. You run a very strong risk of finding yourself without enough anyway and fewer abilities to get more. No like, question. I mean, you, you know, There's, you. It is we, a, it's a, it's a, it's a higher we're, risk. We're both no not question. a, we're both, but you in particular are not huge fans of the doing it all through free agency. No, I hate At it. that point, you are committing plan. yourself. What I would look to do if I were the Lakers with this hypothetical, and again, we emphasize this is oh, it's hypothetical. Totally. It's, a, it's a thought exercise. You, you, you take, you take one of Ingram or Alonzo off the board, and you say you can take the other one and whoever else you want. You know, you get Ingram, right. Kuzma, they say, whoever. They say no. No, I understand that, but I'm saying, like, you know, a lot of this is negotiation or whatever, and I don't do that just in terms of what it leaves the overall team with who's on the floor. It's also just to help prevent, help set yourself best you, for what's no next. No question. You pull as many, you, in, in the real world, you pull as many of these guys I mean, it's back. the, it's but the it's reason just, why the, 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 the Jason Kidd deal that Kobe screamed about in the parking lot where he wanted to move Andrew Bynum, it wasn't just a matter at that point of moving Bynum. You would have had to move, I think, Lamar and Kwame just no to make qu- the salaries okay, I'm, work. I'm, what I'm, what, what and then fa- you gutted. it. But it's fat. It, those are the like those are like the practical. Wait a minute, what if we do again? It? From a just for me, it's like you're better it's, with Davis, right? Because 
ultimately, in the end, ultimately, you we well, the one thing we know is that you cannot win without the the A. You are left. You are left with a more. You are left with a less flawed version of potentially not enough. Right. And if these guys, if if Ingram, Lonzo, whatever, get to you know Randall, whoever it is, hit the ceiling at, at very good. You're essentially the 50 win Hawks or, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, uh maybe a slightly better, slightly lesser okay. version of the Celtics. Here's my deal. Which is good. Here's my but deal. But that's not going to make people happy around Here's here. my deal. Okay. I will do all four of those guys. I will throw the, the four best Lakers into this, but you have to take Lou Aldang. You have to. Because I need at that point as much cap space as possible. Right. No. Yeah. Like, and to make the deals work, you send me nothing that isn't expiring. And that's where it becomes firm. I will give you all four of those guys. You have to take Dang. This is just, it's the, the hypothetical of it because it, like it, at it that tugs point, it, that becomes less so negotiable many, sure. than Lonzo versus Ingram. But it tugs at so many things too. Sure. Because it's like, you know, as a, as a fan of a team, you, you, you always overvalue your own guys. But the flip side is, while Durant and Westbrook kind of look like Durant and Westbrook, like just add a little water and give it some time and they're going to be what they are. You know, Steph wasn't Steph right away. That took a minute. Clay wasn't Clay. Look, I mean, you Draymond and I, wasn't you Draymond. and I both believe in the potential. Paul of Paul George sport. wasn't Paul George. No, I mean, look, it took it took years. I mean, years for Kyle Lowry to turn into who he is now. That take that took years. Right, but, quite, but Kyle Lowry's not quite that. Top no, but tier. but he's really damn. He's really good. damn he's good. Been an all NBA but caliber but, player. But Steph is guy who can be right, your but, best player right, on the title but the, team. But the odds don't favor that anyway. That's my point. Is that that and that's that's the point is that you can't pretend that even if they cuz I I I have some reservations about Paul George. Like Paul George clearly can't be the best player on on a championship team unless your 2 and 3 are basically as good as Paul Look, George. It's all it's all really interesting cuz even a guy like LeBron I don't care what we, you know, sometimes LeBron's supporting cast, you know, the, the, the lack of help there ends up becoming wildly exaggerated. He's had like Kevin Love, you know, he's had Kyrie, you know, people talk about LeBron has to do so much. And there's times when LeBron has to do, had to an, do an awful, awful lot. No, he has, but that just speaks to the idea of one guy isn't enough anyway, well, because we've all, right. we've also, we've often seen these generational, but players. you know, but you know what I mean. No, like, no, the, I do. Le- the gap, if you have LeBron, Obvious. The gap, the, the the amount of stuff that he I'm can not, pay I'm not for arguing over. Against, I'm right. not arguing against it. All I'm saying is, it just speaks to how much stuff you need. You do. That's all I'm saying. But the better your the better your top sure. guy is, the less stuff you need. The, I, like I don't think at this point, given all the great players that they have, the Warriors don't need any stuff. But they, they have a ton of it. They, well, got, look, I mean, they, they didn't got a, need Durant when they took him. <laughs> right. I mean, they, they, they I mean what do you mean absurd. they don't need more stuff? They keep adding stuff. I'm they don't, but they don't need it. Sure. They don't need the stuff. They just keep getting it. But it's you know what, actually though? Actually, I would disagree with that. They clearly think they need the stuff, or else they wouldn't bother getting if it. If you want to guarantee yourself. Right. So they need it. Yeah, they're not com- what it is is they're not comfortable with the 75... 75- Steph, Clay, Draymond, and a good, you know, Iggy, good you know supporting cast. Let's add some more that's, shooting with Nick Young and Omar That gives us Caspi. a 75% chance right. of winning. You know what gives us a 95% chance of winning? Uh, those three guys and Kevin Durant. Like, that makes sure. us even better. Let's but I mean, do but that. E- but even then, they say, you know what? 
Let's make sure that we keep Livingston. Let's make sure we keep Iguodala. Right, because and let's add Nick Young and Omri Caspi for more shooting just in case. that theoretically yes. we don't even need. Just in case. So that's my point. Everybody thinks they need more. Um so yeah, I I, I this is one of those that I, I thought was really one of a, a fun debate. That gets kind of fundamentally to what do you need and how do you build. A At the team. end of the day, I, I would do the deal. I would do it, ultimately. but I say you have to take Dang. I would. You have okay. to. I think that's fair. You have to take. But him. just on principle, because I ultimately you need to have the guy, and once once you have the guy, you can still suck. The Pelicans have sucked with Anthony Davis, um, and you know, so obviously he's not instantly the guy who makes it. But you you can't win a title. With the sort of egalitarian, um, the, the sort of egalitarian way of like the Celtics did it a couple of years ago, where your top end players aren't quite as good. Like, like this, the whole is better than some. You can win egalitarian style like the Warriors do it, where you're doing it with you know, four of the 12 best players in the league, but you can't do it if your talent levels, like, you just can't overcome it. And, so, and it's interesting anyway. too, and I don't want to go into a rabbit right. hole discussion about, about them as a team. But the Pelicans are one of the most intriguing teams in the league. They're, they're a fascinating experiment to watch. Because just when you think you get a handle on, okay, they're actually good, they start going through these hiccups. When you think the hiccups are going to be permanent, they start winning. They are a really They're all over the place. But you know what's interesting? You know what's, team. What I saw, I saw a number the other day. The splits with Davis and Cousins on the yeah. floor Davis, they're way are insane. They're way the two better than Davis. When you no, but it's not that's not what I'm talking about. The Davis and the Davis Cousins combo has grown into something very good. Where it starts to get all screwed up is with Davis Cousins Rondo. No, sure, but like I just Rondo mean like, suddenly makes the whole thing right, terrible. But the, but the difference though between Davis no Cousins versus Cousins no Davis, it's way better right. than Anthony Davis. But right, but the one with the two of them because oh, we no. were talking about how like can they play together? Apparently, I'm telling yes. you right now if. If the if the Pelicans are the last on them, if they can manage to get going during the playoffs, they're terrifying because there's not a team in the league that is set up to directly stop what they do. Like nobody in the league, there's no template for that. Nobody in the league matches up against them at all. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, they're gonna they'll throw whatever they can at trying to keep it's it's looked good enough that they'll say, look, we're it's not going to do better than Boogie. Let's try to like, keep game. We'll figure out. The problem is is not the. It's the problem is I think people. Well, Holiday's it. starting to play better. Holiday's play right, which is he's a good player. But like the problem is that that's they're a team so, also with no shooting. Oh, they're they're and they're, they're exceptionally top heavy. And so you, if you can fix somehow the rest of that roster, yeah, and you have Davis and Cousins. I heard and Holiday. Uh, Bill Simmons. You're good to I go. Heard Bill Simmons and uh, Zach Lowe talking about. It. I want to say on uh, Bill's Ringer podcast, but he made an observation that I think is probably pretty accurate. They're going to be a big time buyout team. Like they're going to be looking at the dudes who get bought out, looking for shooters. Yeah, if you just add a couple shooters to that team. I'll tell you right now, I would not. I I, I don't know how far they can go in the playoffs. I wouldn't want to play. I mean, them isn't their at, most threatening? I don't know their numbers in front of me. Their most threatening shooter is uh, from the outside is Boogie, Boogie or Davis, one yeah. or the other. Like, <laughs> it's like and they're theoretically the guys you're spacing the floor. That ain't for. right. Because Holiday is an okay three point shooter, but he's not a floor spreader. I like just that. I'm just saying I would not want to play them. I would no, not want any no. piece of them in the playoffs. I don't want we in the play. I don't want a weird team. Exactly. I don't want. I don't want to play like you know, good Memphis, like Memphis of three or four years ago. They were weird. Yeah. I don't want to play a weird team. I don't want to play Denver like with Millsap back, because all of a sudden that's a team that 
I you know had sort of top four potential. I think sneaky top four potential. But now nobody's even seen him play. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's weird to say this, but assuming the Pelicans get into the playoffs, and it's not look the Clippers are suddenly yeah, assuming they get it. in. I would not want to play them. No, I don't. Etwan Moore is their best three point shooter. He's actually a solid player, forty four percent. He's solid. But other than that, they're not blessed with uh, Darius Miller. But he didn't play very much yeah, anyway. Um, anywho, let's give him a statue. Andy. Yes. Um, inspired by the arrival of Gary Payton II. By the way, not Gary Payton Jr. No. He is Gary Payton Gary II. Gary Payton Jr. is his half-brother. Yes. Which, by the way, is awesome that Gary Payton named both of his sons Gary, Gary Payton, Payton, which is the most Gary Payton thing ever. I I always have a lot of respect. I'm actually kind of shocked that LeVar Ball doesn't have three kids named LeVar Ball. You know? I, th- I actually, it's not shocking because to me, he saw ahead of time not as marketable for the kids. That's true. I, I, I think, okay. and, and this is most important to Lavar. He doesn't want any of those kids mistaken for him, because then, because then some of the attention might mistakenly go to one of his children and not to him. I wouldn't want the, the you know, the, the middle one stealing stuff. I'm just the, saying. The, I mean, the ultimately, one, I guess now that he's a professional, five, we can talk about his. He's just a dumb-looking kid. Five, you know, just five minutes spent mistakenly talking about LeVar when you really mean LaMelo no, no, is five that. minutes spent not talking about LeVar, no, and he's not going to stand for that. Uh, but Gary Payton, uh, the original, was a Laker. And in honor of his son, Gary Payton II, being signed by the Lakers this week, we are going to give Gary Payton yes! the original, a statue. If, you have, if, if you're short on the game, our, you know, the Lakers have so many statues out in front of Staples Center that we uh, have decided that everybody who has ever, ever played, for, played the for the Lakers should get a statue. And what we do is we um, we judge the significance of the player uh Based on the size of the statue and where it is located. So, Proximity. Yeah. So if you're really good, like you're right next to the Kareem statue, like Kobe's going to be right there in the plaza with everybody else. Other guys might be across the street. Well, as we've Some said, Kobe's statue or probably statues because right. two numbers. They're at center court, and you, you just, just have to you play work around, around it. it. You play around the statues, and it's part <laughs> of the ground rules. It's like when Houston at Minute Maid Park had the the hill. Mm-hmm. You just you work around it. Well, it's also it's a good <laughs> metaphor for Kobe's career. It, it, it absolutely is, and so that was why. And then I was and there, there have been people that we put their their statue like in Modesto, <laughs> right? <laughs> just because this just is. So um, that's the game, and we do today. Gary Payton cut a little background. I played one season with the Lakers, started all 82 games, 40, 14.6 points a game, five and a half assists, one and uh, a little over a steal a game, shot 47% Andy as a Laker, yes, he did. which is uh, better than his career averages and 33% from three point range. Again, better than his career average, uh, was considered a little disappointing in the playoffs as they rolled he around. Uh, but, he, uh, he never was completely comfortable in the right. triangle offense, uh, he was open about this. He and Phil had a lot of meetings and disagreements over the course of the season. And like you said, in particular, it started showing um, in the playoffs, like these struggles. He started losing minutes to Derek Fisher. You know, you started hearing rumblings from the guys on the team like Kobe, Shaq, you know, Rick Fox, the guys who had been around the longest that, you know, they felt more comfortable with Fisher. You know, there was there were reports about Peyton losing confidence you know, he de- again, he's a weird thing was, to say about Gary Payton. He definitely was not comfortable with the team. All right. So where are you going to put, Andy, your Gary Payton statue? What does it look like? Well, I mean, I, I we got to explain some of the rationale to begin with. Well, well um, you have to you say you 
you, I'm sort of setting sure. you up to, to deliver your, your statue. Well, I mean, it's interesting because to me, if, if you look at some of Peyton's numbers on this team, like, you know, 13 years after the fact and after the narrative, they're actually better. Those numbers are fine. I, but I mean, but also too, like the team was often better with Peyton on the floor than without him. Like they were actually, if you start looking at like, you know, uh, offensive rating, defensive rating, like win shares, uh, plus minus, like they're better with him than without him for all the, the drama. Right. About, you know, his inability to fit in, which was. Well, that whole season, like we look at, like people talk about that group, the Malone, Peyton, whatever, like it was a disaster. Like, oh my God, this was one of the most disappointing teams of all time. They went to the freaking finals. They and went to the finals. Had Malone not have gotten hurt. They probably would have won the finals. They certainly, or certainly wouldn't have lost in five. Yeah, they certainly could have won. So it's like, you know, also to before, people. Before, I mean, noting again that his numbers were actually better than I think people remember them and his overall effect on the floor. And obviously there's the eye test that matters and there's the, you know. It didn't quite it didn't work. They didn't, right, win, it didn't, they didn't work. Three-peat. But I'm saying he didn't quite drag them down the way people often remember it. They were seven points better offensively with him on the court, and they were uh, about they were basically a wash defensively with him. Well, on the it's court. it's funny you say that actually, Brian. By I'm the way, looking at the on off statistics, it's funny for that you Payton. say that because I was going through some of Peyton's numbers in general for this, trying to compare it against the Lakers. And one of the things that stood out for me was that the defensive analytics for Gary Payton considered like one of the best defenders of like the last 30 years or so they're not nearly as good as you would expect them to be for a player of his caliber and reputation like you know i watched gary payton tear into players and i've heard enough opponents say gary payton was a mother to play against so i will take their word for it so i'm not saying he's overrated but i just think it's interesting like i think it may reflect the way we evaluate defense differently now than we yeah, did and, then. Well, everything, and, and he and the, played defense the, the differently. In, but the inputs were different. Everything is here. But in, you know, the, I, the, the, the playoffs, the, though, the numbers flip-flop. Sure. Like they, they were better. They were much better offensively without Peyton on the floor and still basically a walk. No, no, he struggled. He struggled, struggled in the playoffs. The playoffs. There's no question. Um, but it's like, you know, the, the individual matchups that, you know, the mono we mono that used to get so much focus in Peyton's heyday. Like, that's not the way offenses run as much anymore. So again, I just, I, I found that interesting just that the the way the analytics reflected Peyton and also the way they may reflect how we look at you know defense in general yeah but anyway anyway uh as far as Peyton goes like I said I think the numbers are better than we may remember him so I was thinking it would be a statue in a place that I think is actually better than it often gets credit for in LA so I decided to choose Studio City (laughs) <laughs> like, like I, I think Studio City gets a bad rap. Like, it's not the best area in L.A. or the surrounding parts. But I actually think we used to have some friends who lived in Studio City. There's more to do that than you think. There's more shopping than you think. There are some cool bars in the area. Studio City, you know, it's close. You just have to hop right over the hill to go somewhere better. Like, proximity-wise. Who are the people that you hang out with that everybody hates Studio City? I, I didn't say that. Well, the people I hang out with like Studio City because often a lot of them live there. I'm just saying, I think Studio City doesn't necessarily get the reputation it deserves as kind of a it's cool not like park. Van, but they don't talk about Studio City like they do Van Nuys. Well, but Van Nuys deserves its bad <laughs> rap. That's the difference. And so I'm putting the statue in Studio City, and it's going to be a statue of Peyton outside Phil Jackson's office 
waiting to talk with Phil about his role. And you've got like the, the Gary Payton snarl on his face. Cause you know, A, that was his face. And B, he was just generally unhappy with the Lakers. And there's just going to be a door labeled Phil Jackson. Cause I don't want to put Phil in there because then you start getting to, well, how many statues is Phil going to get? And it starts getting complicated. So it's just going to be Gary Payton outside a door labeled Phil Jackson waiting to talk about his role. All right. I am taking sort of the opposite tack there because uh, if you think Studio City is uh, somehow sort of been underrated and unfairly maligned, I'm going the other way. Uh, the One of the most disappointing places in Los Angeles, when I first moved here, and granted the, the neighborhood has changed, my favorite thing to do, and this is about 20 years ago, my favorite thing to do was take people who had never been to Los Angeles and take them to Hollywood. Yes, it was so much fun. And, they, and they'd get there and be like, are you bleeping? This is what everybody makes use. It was a dump. Oh, it was so wonderfully it was, grimy. It was grimy. And I loved like, it. You stepped over the hypodermic needles and you loved did all this it. stuff. Like, think Hollywood now has gone through kind of a trans- similar transformation, at least sort of the, the, the touristy part of Hollywood uh, have gone kind of the same kind of transformation as downtown LA. Like you or go like back Times Square, in New but York. like but you think about what downtown LA was yes. when the Staples Center was built, where they had the rest. There was nothing here, dude. When it was I went parking to U- lot. There was parking lots. When I went to USC, like the only thing people ever did in downtown was you know they they'd go to the pantry. Or they'd look to score drugs. Right. And that was it. There was nothing and so, in the area. All this stuff is built up around the Staples Center since then. But like you go back to the first title and they they, they had the rally right in front of Staples because there was nothing yeah. but it's all empty space. Empty space and, and parking lots. So you could do that. Hollywood is the same kind of thing. Yes. Like, there was nothing there. And so people would come and even the touristy parts of Hollywood were really crappy. Yes. And you know, then nah, they built, I loved it. Then they yes. right. Then they built Hollywood and Highland and other things have changed. Whatever, it's gotten much better. But it's I'd still argue it's gotten much worse. <coughs> depends I'd on your argue it's gotten depends much on your worse. Point. It's become it's become much safer. Yes. Yes, it Hollywood is. Hollywood is safer now than it used to be. Still though. I miss the potential of being held up. Yeah. When you go there, there's still the veneer of disappointment. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not as bad as it was, and this is why I think it's an appropriate thing for Gary Payton. Why his statue, statue for me, is going to Hollywood because it's actually you know there's a lot of good stuff in Hollywood, good bars, there's some good food. But it's not quite you want, but it's you want just it to be. not what you thought it was going to be sure. if you were unfamiliar that with makes it. Sense. It doesn't meet the image of what you had in your head of Hollywood. That makes sense. We're going to Hollywood. Wait. Cha cha cha. Yeah, and it's not. And so we're Gary, basically talking two sides so of the, the same, same coin. coin. Yes. And I'm putting in where you are looking at it from an optimistic standpoint of, hey, folks, think about it this way. It was better than you remember. I'm thinking of it because I'm more a man of the people. Most people would agree, mm-hmm. <laughs> and clearly, clearly more a man, a man of the people. I'm thinking about what everybody else thinks of, which is, God, this is such a disappointment. Sure, and it just wasn't quite right. So it's Gary Payton. In Hollywood, with his hands on his hips, kind of looking down in one of those playoff postures as he's going to the bench when it's just not working the way that you would want. That makes sense. And that's Gary Payton's I mean, statue. We, we basically are presenting different versions right. of the same it's, statue. Because it's Hollywood's fine. There's a lot of good stuff in Hollywood, but it's, eh, for a lot of people, it's not what you want. Makes sense. Uh, so that's Gary Payton, and that's his statue. Congratulations, Gary Payton II, for uh, finding his way back in the league. It is hard to be in the NBA. Yes, it is. Um, I don't like that. That was another debate that somehow bubbled up again this week on basketball Twitter. Like people claiming that they were better than people who play this game professionally. Just a reminder, folks, pick the 13th player on the defenders roster. What are they called now? 
the South Bay Lakers. The 13th guy on that roster, if he walked into your game, would destroy you and all of your friends. All of you. Ben Lyons, you know, our friend, is convinced that Marcelo Huertas can't guard him. He's absolutely convinced that that Huertas cannot contain him. Incorrect. We have to give Marcelo Huertas a statue at some point, too, because I know exactly where I'm going to put it. <laughs> I know where it's going. I know what it'll be doing, because I'm pretty sure it's where exactly where Marcelo Huertas is now making a little extra money on the side. I know where you're thinking. Yeah. So uh, we'll get to that. Anything else you want to do? No, no, I'm good. We're, so we're uh, about the halfway point of the season, Andy. And I'm not sure if that's a threat or something to look forward to. We'll talk about maybe that next week. See everybody later.